0: You are locked on magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.
1: And you are indeed locked on magic. Today is May 11th, 2020. My name is Philip Rosserreich. I'm the expert and site editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com. Of course, follow me on Twitter at Philip R underscore OMD. Well, it finally happened. The long awaited appearance of the 1995 and 1996 Orlando Magic in The Last Dance. I'll have my reactions to the Magic's portrayal in the documentary and what it sort of says about the Magic's place in history as well as uh, kind of where the Magic fit into the story of Michael Jordan. I'll have some thoughts on that coming up in just a moment. Plus, uh, we'll break down some of the latest news going around with the Orlando Magic uh, that that I I have not had the time to address. I've been kind of... I've been kind of in summer mode, so I've been scaling back on episodes, but I do want to make sure I address some some news that happened over the weekend or early in the weekend uh, about the Magic as as they do prepare to begin opening the Amway Center back up. I did promise we'd talk more about the 2020 version of the team. That will come in our next episode of Locked on Magic. Plus, I've got some fun stuff planned for this week. It is on the Locked on Podcast Network What If Week, so we'll talk a little bit about what ifs on this episode when it pertains to the 1995 team. But we'll also talk. But I also have a what if plan uh, a little bit later on in the week. So definitely uh, st- stick with us a little bit for that. But before we get to any of that, I do want to remind you that you can check out all the great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network by searching on download podcast for Locked On and the team you're looking for. Just like this podcast here, your the Orlando Magic with excruciating detail. This podcast is covering every single team in the NBA with the same level of care and detail that you can only find from a local expert who knows their team best. Want the last dance perspective from the Chicago Bulls perspective check out Locked On Bulls. Want a preview of what's to come in The Last Dance for next week? I'm sure Locked On Pacers will have you covered this week, certainly next week as well. Plus, we have a full recap and reaction from the the last two episodes of The Last Dance on Locked On NBA. No matter what team you're interested in, no matter if it's the NBA, NFL, NHL, college, or MOB2, there's a Locked On podcast for you. Just search wherever you download podcasts for Locked On and the team you're looking for. The Locked On Podcast Network, it's your team every day. This episode is also brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. At this point, every Orlando Magic fan knows the story. The Orlando Magic, the top seed in the Eastern Conference, the young upstarts with the with the great young core that's gonna rule the NBA for a decade, coming up against the man that ruled the 90s, or much of the early 90s, at least to that point. The man who walked away from the sport for 18 months, simply faxed a, a press release that said, I'm back, and gained. If I can use that, if I use that word correctly, to try and take a moribund—that's a word I like using—a moribund Chicago Bulls team to a championship as the five seed, that would have been something. If there are a five seed versus six seed in, in the NBA Finals, as the Houston Rockets, defending champions, also kind of muddled their way through the season, as, as we all know, you you don't question the heart of a champion. Michael Jordan really did have that effect, and no matter what condition or state he was in. Michael Jordan made his team significantly better. There's a 10-part documentary on him. He went on to win three more titles, won six total in his career. He jokingly said, it, I don't even think it was a joke at this point, he said in the last stance, the only reason he came back for that 93 season after giving his all for two, two titles was he wanted three straight when Larry and Magic never could get that. The one thing that I hope this series has made everyone realize is how difficult it is to go through an entire NBA season, win a championship, and then do it again. The mental and physical strain that it takes to win at that high level. But it takes a lot of physical presence and a physical strain to get there. And when Michael Jordan and his Bulls, that kind of very imperfect 1995 Chicago Bulls team, ran into the Orlando Magic, Sure, they had the championship experience. Sure, they had Michael Jordan, but at the end of games, it didn't really matter. That 1995 Magic team, you know, still universally beloved. They got their own documentary too, and, and I'm one of the things I may do this week is I may rewatch it with this context and with this, with the you know with the having us watch the a lot of these 1995 playoff games on Fox Sports Florida. I'd give that a rewatch. I, I really want to watch it again. This documentary really makes me want to remember the magic's perspective. Just dive a little bit deeper. And if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen this magic moment, stop what you're doing now. Hit pause. We'll be here later. Go watch it. It's worth your worth your hour and a half or two hours, whatever it is. It's, it's a good documentary. I, I really enjoy it. And I have my own thoughts about what the lessons are from that. I've I've written about it, talked about it on... I I don't know if I was doing the show at the time, but I've talked plenty about it. I'll talk about it again later. The Bulls ran into a Magic team that was up to the challenge to beat them. We talked about that series at length on this podcast over the last few weeks. We did a live rewatch of Game 1 as it re-aired on Fox Sports Florida a few weeks ago. Last week, uh, as Fox Sports Florida completed all four Magic wins from that series, so I'm pretty fresh having rewatched all those games, or at least four of the six games. All six games are available on YouTube. You can go to the Orlando Magic Daily Video Vault to watch them all in their entirety. This series is still very fresh in my mind because I've watched four of the six games of it. And... The one thing that I will say is, is the result of that series was not in, was not inevitable in any sense. That Magic team, that young Magic team, had to show a lot of poise and maturity to win that series. The last stance certainly hit on one of the big issues in that series. I often say the difference between the college game and the pro game is eight minutes. And those eight minutes, the difference between a 48-minute game and a 40-minute game, is everything. The one thing that I think the NBA should never touch, they can shorten the season, they can do a whole bunch of gimmicky things, that 48 minutes to me is sacrosanct. Because unless the college game is going to race itself up to 48 minutes, and I would go much further than 48 minutes, it's a lot of stress on the body, but... That forty-eight minutes, that difference between a college game and a pro game, you know, thirty-two to forty in high school to, to college may not, honestly, I mean, I, I didn't play. Someone, please correct me. That's a big step up, but it's it's not the same. But you watch these when you watch these guys go from forty to forty-eight, those eight minutes are everything. The fatigue, the 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 intensity the physicality of those eight minutes. And I i know I sit here and I always say, clutch doesn't mean a thing. Clutch is an overrated stat. But those last eight minutes mean something. And I do think that there is something to those last minutes of a game. Do you have the extra gas in your tank to get to the next level? As many people point out, Jordan it's kind of Jordan says in the last stands i was at about 80% during that playoff series in 1995 he wasn't he said i wasn't in basketball shape i had been training and working out to play baseball and to do the things on a basketball court is different as the documentary highlights jordan had a lot of missteps at the end of games it wasn't just game 1 with the steal by nick anderson and then the turnover on the ensuing possession with a chance to still win the game. Nick Anderson's steal did not clinch the game. It gave the magic lead. It was the go-ahead play, but it did not clinch the game. It was Jordan turning the ball over once more, trying to feed Scottie Pippen as Donald Royal chased him to the free-throw line. As the documentary showed, though, there were two more instances where Jordan really struggled. Turned the ball over late in Game 3, as Orlando was clinging to a lead. That cost the Bulls that game. In game six, he missed several shots as Orlando went on a 14-0 run to stun the Bulls. As I said, those final eight minutes are everything. I'm not going to sit here and tell you fatigue had nothing to do with the Bulls losing that series. Or nothing to do with Jordan losing that series. He scored. He averaged 31 points per game. I think it was like six rebounds per game, four or five assists per game. He had an incredible series. But the stat that mattered most in the end were the four turnovers per game that he averaged. As I mentioned in a podcast that I did last week in our pre-dance, as I did a Facebook, I did a Facebook live before we rewatched a game before before the last dance, and I and I, and I posed, I did sort of a rewatchables. If you've watched The Ringer, you know watch their shows or listen to their podcast. I did sort of a rewatchables of that series because I just, I just, uh, like I said, I just came out off watching that entire series for the for the most part, and I, I decided to post some unanswerable questions, and kind of the first unanswerable question that I had was, what would have happened if the Magic had gone to a Game Seven? Because that, that series was really close to going to a Game Seven, and I'm not 100% sure the Magic would have won Game Seven. The next question I posed, of course, is what would have happened. If Jordan were healthy the entire season, and I don't think the Magic win that series if Jordan's healthy the entire season, it, it is clear that Jordan is not quite Michael Jordan. So I'm not going to say that fatigue, that the training wasn't a factor in that series. But don't let anyone be confused. Uh, one of the unanswerable questions I asked and that asked there. Was did the Magic win the series or did the Bulls lose the series? And I do think there's a little bit of both. I think the Bulls made some mistakes, but the Magic went out and grabbed that series. Don't let anyone make you believe that Jordan's fatigue alone is why Chicago lost that series. Orlando won that series. Chicago had leads in Game Three, in Game Five, in Game Six, and Orlando in Game One. Every game Orlando played in that series, they had to make plays to win it. They had to go on runs and take control. They had to come from behind. Chicago started off seemingly every game out like gangbusters. I'm not here to tell you that if Jordan were, help, if Jordan were playing the entire season, that the Magic would have even won the Eastern Conference that year or would have been the top seed. They would have had to go on the road. I'm not here to, sit, to dispute any of that. The Magic were the better team than the Bulls that year. Don't let The Last Dance paper over the Magic like that. They were a tough team that had advantages that Chicago didn't have. They exploited Chicago's weaknesses. And honestly, I say, I think Horace Grant was the ultimate winner of that series. They exploited Chicago's hubris, too. The Bulls didn't have the physicality to deal with Horace Grant. And ultimately, as their young guys started gaining confidence and maintained their confidence, they believed believed with the same intensity that Jordan always believes he can win. That team specifically, that Orlando Magic team in 1995 specifically, believed they could beat anybody. They could overcome any deficit, and they had the horses and the players and the ability to do it. And honestly, with that 1995 team, it was only when they didn't that that confidence was broken. Only when the lights were as bright as they could be in the NBA Finals that that team ultimately fell apart. So yes, Jordan was not Michael Jordan. Yes, he was definitely fatigued and tired at the end of games, unable to finish games in the way that the legend of Michael Jordan is accustomed to finishing. And yes, the Magic were the better team in that series they were really possibly the ultimate threat to Michael Jordan's dynasty and the Chicago Bulls. But as the documentary makes clear, they were also ultimately what drove him. And to me, that was the biggest theme of episode eight. The biggest theme of episode eight was what drove Michael Jordan. How did he stay engaged and it was really all about the legendary slights that Jordan had with other, p- other players, had with other teams, and invented in his head to get him to become Michael Jordan. Jordan, I think, essentially says it straight out. There's no 72-10 season without the Orlando Magic beating him in 1995. Let's take a quick break so i can tell you a little bit more about built bar it's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar and, and candy bars are usually bad for you but, but this protein bar is good for you comes in 16 amazing flavors all covered in 100 chocolate they're soft and easy to true- chew they are the perfect perfect snack perfect meal replacement perfect whatever you need them for for the health conscious person loser maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber. I am personally not one that typically goes to the protein bar, but some a meal replacement after a workout. If I need a little bit of an energy boost, protein bars are where I go, and this product definitely has some great flavors and some great, great, great options for you. Check out the flavor profile on the mint brownie. 15 grams of protein, 110 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 5 grams net carbs. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. Again, use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off
0: at BuiltBar.com.
1: I know a lot of people have, you know, the, the big criticism of The Last Dance so far has been the format and how it's kind of tried to run on two tracks. And, 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 and you know, I, I agree sometimes it's a little jarring. And I think for most of us who know the story, uh, it's it's good to refresh. I, I think it's easier for us to follow along. For people who may not know some of Michael's stories, it, it's it's a little bit more difficult being at this late stage of the series, essentially, where we've got two episodes left, I thought they would be focusing a lot more on the 98 season, and I would say that that that's maybe one disappointment, but I do commend the director for how he's kind of framed and structured the series. Especially as we've gotten to this point, every episode seems to have a sort of theme. And, and you know, you kind of have to play with the cards you're dealt a little bit um, with with how the 98 season actually turned out. So, you know, early on, you know, Pippen's out. You could focus on Dennis Rodman and, and what, what his contributions are and what mattered matter for him. So focusing on a specific player or, for speci- or a specific team throughout each hour as you progress through the season, certainly the way to go. And then telling the backstory uh, of how they how they played their role or or the context of how they played their role um, is, is certainly, I think, a, a fair way to to create this I would be curious if they will release a sort of chronological version of this of this uh, documentary at some point uh, I'm sure people would watch it and buy it um, but you know I, I do think that the way it is constructed is it's not necessarily bad uh, you know I'm I, I, sure it's open to criticism but it's not necessarily bad but episode eight as we've gotten to Jordan's coming back from retirement or playing baseball, the bulls kind of finding their way without him, Uh, and the beginning of the NBA playoffs. As we've gotten to episode eight, the focus of that episode is on the the slights, on what really motivated Jordan to greatness. Because especially at this point in 1998, Jordan has done everything. He's won three titles. He's won all the MVPs. You know, he said this is his last season, but it is not easy to win championships. I mean, Magic have tried for 31 years. They've had two real chances at winning titles, and they've fallen short. they fallen short in a way that, that they never really came back from. And so, the framing of the Magic's place in the Michael Jordan story is essentially about the slights, about Jordan's legendary ability to take the smallest insult and turn it into the biggest thing that motivates him. It's a a trait we've seen, not just from from Jordan, but from other players. Shaq has the legendary story of his beef with David Robinson. As Shaq would tell it, when he was a kid growing up in in San Antonio, he moved around a lot as a kid, as a a military, military son. Growing up in San Antonio, Texas, Shaq said he asked for David Robinson's autograph. You know, young up-and-coming kid, still probably in middle school at the time, asking the star player of the hometown team for his autograph. And Robinson, who is universally known as one of the nicest dudes in the league, either ignored him, didn't see him, hard to believe he didn't see Shaq, didn't see him, Shaq didn't get the autograph. And Shaq said, he held that in his head. And when he would play David Robinson, he'd bring a little something extra didn't help, too, that, yes, David Robinson won the 1995 NBA MVP over Shaq, and so Shaq had another reason to hate David Robinson, and we were very close to a David Robinson Shaq finals in 1995. These were the two most dominant figures, and Shaq always said that he always had it in for David Robinson. Never mind that Shaq would later admit that this story was completely made up, and was just something Shaq tried to use to motivate himself a lie and a feeling so powerful that he hoped it would motivate him to play better than probably the second best center, second or third best center in the league at the time Shaq was entering it. The story, as I said, completely made up. Shaq has admitted he completely made that story up. And this is literally what Michael Jordan did throughout his career. As a note in the, in the documentary, he created this story about LeBradford Smith, a relatively nondescript Washington Bullets player from 1993 who had a big game against Jordan, had 35 points against Jordan. And when the Bulls played the Bullets the next night, Jordan promised to score as many as Smith scored in the whole game in the first half. And he did. Except that story was made up too. Jordan did not need much to get motivated, and you can see that pretty much through every interaction Jordan has ever had. Go back and watch his Hall of Fame speech. He is still petty and salty. Most of this series, most of this documentary series has been about Jordan being petty and salty about perceived slights and people maybe not paying him respect, and that's what made him a great player. No shame in that. The documentary starts at Game 1 of the 1998 Eastern Conference semifinals against the Charlotte Hornets. And B.J. Armstrong defeats Michael Jordan, and Michael Jordan's Bulls with a late shot. Looking over at the Bulls bench, looking over at Michael and letting them know. I think Jordan's statement to reminiscing about that in the documentary is B.J. should have known better. And that's where we come and meet the Orlando Magic once again. And that's the context in which the Magic enter this documentary. The documentary focuses in on a few things. One, Jordan losing. Jordan does not like to lose. And as the documentary relates, the day after the Bulls lose to the the Magic, Jordan calls up Tim Grover and says, we're getting to work. I got to become a basketball player again. And he uses that throughout the filming of Space Jam and on and on and on to get himself ready for the 1996 season. Number two, they talk about Nick Anderson. Nick Anderson who hit essentially the, go- the game-winning shot in Game 6 of that series, the steal, of course, in Game 1. But Nick Anderson, a Chicago native himself who perhaps should have known better as well, said after Game 1, 45 isn't 23. And you know that got under Jordan's skin. And of course, he came back as number 23 in game two, taking a substantial fine in the process, winning game two in Orlando, dominating game two in Orlando, actually, and sending the series back to Chicago tied 1 1. And then, of course, what they didn't talk enough about in that series. And of course, what's talked about more in this magic moment as a yeah, that probably wasn't a good idea. Was when the Magic lifted Horace Grant on their shoulders. As I said, Horace Grant is the ultimate winner of that series in 1995. Phil Jackson made it a point to double off of Grant onto Shaquille O'Neal. The Bulls were going to make Horace Grant beat them. He wanted a bigger role in the offense in Chicago. They weren't willing to give it to him. Even after an All-Star year in 1994, and so he left. The Bulls were not willing to pay him. They wanted to start Tony coach. And so he left for Orlando where J.A. Dande says he was pretty good. I wouldn't say he was a star, J.A., but go Cats. He was pretty good. And I always say Horace Grant is probably, you know, Richard Lewis and Tracy McGrady are probably the two most important free agent uh, signings in Magic history. It's probably T-Mac as number one. Horace Grant's in the top three. I don't know if you put... I, I, you might put him ahead of Richard Lewis. Richard Lewis essentially tipped the finals in Orlando's favor too. Horace Grant was an extremely important signing in Orlando Magic history. And we have nothing but love for Horace Grant here. <laughs> Even with the Doc thing. But that, that's, that's a story for another day. Lifting Horace Grant on their shoulders, which as they mentioned in this Magic moment, I believe, Horace Grant did not want to do. Horse Grant averaged 18 points per game in that series. He would, have had, he would have been up at 21 in that series if he hadn't scored just six points in game six. Just, I mean, he, he broke, a, broke a tendon in his finger uh, in, in game six and had to miss the end of that game. So he was on the bench as the Magic made their run, as the Magic grew up before his eyes. So that series was, was very much about Horse Grant getting some measure of revenge on his former team. And he did not want to be lifted up on the shoulders, but as the story goes, Shaquille O'Neal said, you're going up. There's nothing you can do about it. There's one thing we know about Shaq's career. When he wants to do something, no one has the capability of stopping him unless they send him to the free throw line. And even then, 50-50 chance. So the context of the magic in this documentary is very much about a failure. And Jordan's response to failure, Jordan's response to being slighted is always to pummel them the next time he gets the chance. He takes out whatever anger he has on the next victim or on that victim once again. And honestly, that's what the magic are. In the course of NBA history, in the course of this story, The magic are simply another slight that Jordan paid back. A dish best served cold. Revenge. The thing that fueled and motivated Jordan. In this documentary, I think one criticism I have for this documentary is, especially at this point, it is moving at such a fast pace I feel like proper respect is not being given to the to the teams that Jordan had to overcome. Obviously the chief rival in his entire career were the Bad Boy Pistons. They were the team he had to overcome to become a champion. And they deserve they got their own documentary obviously, the Bad Boys. Definitely suggest watching that. They got the attention and time they deserve. But since we have moved past the bad boys, it's been a series of sort of one-off battles. And maybe that's the problem with Jordan's legacy, or maybe that's the the cause of the effect of Jordan's legacy. Is nobody truly measured up to him? Or Or every time he met a true challenger, he vanquished them completely and wholly. There was, there was no one who, who had to overcome Jordan or no one who overcame Jordan in the same way Jordan overcame the Pistons. And so his legacy then is a series of slights of Jordan trying to motivate himself, trying to find the equal that, never rose to his level. Bird had magic. They traded championships throughout the 80s. Jordan had to beat the Pistons, but when they were gone, there wasn't really anyone else. Throughout the documentary, they've gone through some of these. Obviously, the first title with the Lakers was motivation in and of itself, but they didn't really focus on that Lakers team. The Clyde Drexler story. Jordan had to kind of invent some juice to that Drexler story, and Honestly, Jordan pummeled Drexler so bad, and what they didn't say in the documentary, which I believe I read in uh, Jackie McMullen's book about magic and Larry Bird, Jordan kept pummeling Clyde Drexler in the night in the 92 Dream Team, and essentially ended his time as a potential challenger for all NBA and top of the top of the mountain stuff. There was no equal. The 93 Suns might have very well been the best team the Bulls beat in the finals. They beat some good teams. 98 Jazz were a very good team, as they'll show. Uh, the 96 Sonics were a very good team, which I'm going to dive into a little bit more. The 93 Suns barely got it mentioned. That that was a six-game series that nearly went seven When unless Paxson hits that shot. Did you know that the Blazers series was a six-game series? Again, Maybe not the closest six-game series, but still a heartbeat away from going to Game 7. To this point, I would honestly say, you know, the Knicks in 93 got a little bit more attention. And obviously the focus is on the Bulls. I'm not saying that they need to spend a whole bunch on these opponents. But dramatically, there isn't that much air of a net. There isn't that much air of uncertainty that these teams can stand up to Jordan. Mostly because most of these teams are pushed off off to the sidelines so quickly throughout the documentary. The one thing that's different about how the Magic are portrayed. Is whereas earlier in the series, the the Bulls' inability to get out of the first round, their inability to beat the Pistons, it's portrayed a little bit more as a team failure, as Jordan has done all he can, and the group around him just isn't good enough. What was different about how this documentary treated the 95 season and the 95 Magic in particular is that there was this young up-and-coming team, Shaq Penny, that got Horace Grant from Chicago. Nick Anderson's a solid defender. They're portrayed as a threat like any like any other threat. But the difference here is the loss to the magic is viewed as michael jordan's failure individually the montage that we've seen from so many uh, about so many great players specifically lebron when it wasn't completely jordan's fault jordan made mistakes this was this was definitely his worst series in a very long time again still averaged 31 points per game This wasn't like the 9 Eastern Conference Finals with LeBron. LeBron got beat by a better team because individual brilliance that late in the playoffs doesn't work. This was Jordan's failure. Or the way it's portrayed is, it was Jordan's failure. The way the media talked about it, that montage of choking, of that choke artist, of, oh, Jordan's tired, he isn't ready to play basketball. That was Jordan's failure. And so, really, for the first time since the Pistons, since those title runs, the magic made Jordan experience individual failure. Failure that ultimately drove Jordan to to new heights. To become the greatest of all time once again. To change everything about him. To get back in the gym the next day. To come into training camp that year with a fire. To test Steve Kerr. To test all his new teammates. Because the 93 team had cycled out essentially by then. Except for Scotty. Forced the Bulls to go get Dennis Rodman because they couldn't double off of horse grain anymore. And got them to 72 and 10. Got them back to Orlando. Where they eventually swept the Magic. Personally, I mean, obviously, I'm biased. Maybe I'm overinflating the Magic's place in all of this. I mean, but it, it's pretty clear from the way the documentary even portrayed it that that loss in 95 drove him in 96. That loss in 95 made 96 a revenge tour. The Bulls, were, the Bulls were not messing around, and they wanted Orlando back. And honestly, I I think it's an important part of the story. Not that the the, the final series in ninety-six wasn't important, and that a win over Seattle was inevitable. Orlando or you know, Chicago went up 3-0, beat Seattle in six, you know, with and Gary Payton was a treasure in that in that documentary and and absolutely fantastic. I I wish they would have talked to Shaq. I know Shaq talked about it a lot in this magic moment, and, and you don't want to rehash too much of that too much of that. You know they, they had Horace, who was a member of that team. To me, the mountain that the Bulls needed to conquer was the magic. And if you go back and look at that 96 series, a four-game sweep, a, 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 frankly, a dominant four-game sweep. Orlando lost an 18-point lead in Game 2 on the road. And from there, the series was over. Horace Grant suffered an injury in Game 1. He was out. By the time game four came around, the Bulls hadn't just beaten the Magic. They had battered them. Nick Anderson was out. Brian Shaw was out. Horace Grant was out. And Shaq and Penny weren't seasoned enough to do much on their own. They weren't seasoned enough to bounce back from that against a player like Jordan. The Magic the Magic weren't just another slight. They weren't. For an entire season, they were a literal and real threat. A driving force that needed to be crushed. And honestly, the unique thing about Michael Jordan is he could crush anyone. And obviously there were other factors involved in what would happen next in the Magic. But as I saw on Twitter as, as, the, as it was being aired live, someone noted Jordan literally crushed the Orlando Magic and they haven't recovered since. Ended that franchise while well, still, frankly, in the crib. That's not completely true, of course. Then again, Shaq is, Shaq is a top 10 player. How many of those do you get? Just ask the Bulls. How many top 10 players do you really get? They had Jordan. Their history sucks pretty much outside of that. They had Der- the Derrick Rosiers, obviously. Unless you're the Lakers you're, or the Celtics, you don't usually have these sustained runs. And yes, there are other issues at play. There was the jealousy, there was kind of youthful jealousy going on behind the scenes between Penny and Shaq. There was a front office and a, and, a, and a management that didn't quite understand the, the the force that they had, maybe didn't understand how difficult it would be to, to, to get back or replace Shaq if he did leave. There was the small market, big market issue that, that I think a lot of people know was at play as well. There was the shifting economics of the NBA, the loophole in the collective bargaining agreement that Shaq took advantage of. The magic falling apart the way they did is frankly something that probably would never happen again. To to be frank, the Magic got caught in a perfect storm of bad luck. After a perfect storm of good luck. And yes, Jordan put a nail in that coffin. Maybe not the final nail, but a nail in that coffin by embarrassing and sweeping the Magic out, by getting that revenge. But, you know, it is what-if week. And I do have to ask the question, what if the Magic had had a chance to get their own measure of revenge? You talk about the problem of more a lot. There's a little bit of a problem of more with that Magic team in 96. They'd been to the Finals, They tasted a little bit of success, and they didn't quite know how to handle it. Then they faced failure, and they never got a chance to go back at it. As I mentioned, Shaq responded to slights too. What would he have done if the Magic came back in 97 to face the Bulls in 97? I'm going to say it now. I think the Magic had the had as good of a chance of any team of being the ones to really challenge Michael, especially in those late years. And honestly, especially after watching this documentary about that 1998 season and how difficult it was for him physically and mentally. You can see it wearing on him. And while, yes... The Indiana Pacers of 1998 were a very good team and I'm very eager to see how they portray this series. The only team that's ever taken Jordan's Bulls after they won those titles to seven games. The Magic are the only team to beat the Bulls in a seven-game series. Pacers are the only ones to take them to seven games. I'm very interested to see how they portray it. Because among the teams that had the best chance to beat those Bulls, The 95 Magic, the 96 Magic, the hypothetical 97 Magic are right there with them. They were not just another team that slighted Jordan. They were a legitimate threat. And I think Jordan knew it. And I kind of wish the documentary gave a little bit more respect to his opponents. Gave them the due that these were really good teams that just couldn't get themselves together long enough to give Jordan the rival he never had. And that's why Jordan had to invent ev- invent so much. Because ultimately, no one could hang with him. No one could give him that constant rival. The Jazz are the only team he faced twice in the finals. Faced the Knicks a few times in the playoffs and never lost to them. The Magic might be the only team that could have given him that rival. That true challenger. That team that had to beat him to become the champion. Of course, we all know that fell apart
0: before it could happen.
1: Before we get back to the present, let me tell you about the most useful app on my phone. It's hard to find the time to sit down to read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information, from thousands of non-fiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute, on your lunch break, or while you exercise. That's when I listen to a lot of my podcasts and books. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health to history books. Blinkist has the latest titles from bestsellers lists as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had the time to. I've read and listened to these books and I highly recommend you check them out. Check out some of these popular books on Blinkist including Tiger Woods, by Jeff Benedict, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, or How Champions Think in Sports and in Life by Dr. Bob Rotella and Bob Cullen. I'm sure they'll be talking about some of the lessons that we've been thinking about today. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed non books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA, try it free for seven days, and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Again, that's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial, and you'll also save 25% off. But only
0: when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. You know, I I get long-winded when I talk about Magic history. I
1: love Magic history. I think Magic history is fascinating. I I think, you know, I think the Magic as a franchise are fascinating. Um, They got their own documentary, which explains a lot of why this team is so fascinating, Um, which again, highly recommend. Go watch this Magic moment. I'm planning to watch it again this week um, in light of what we've seen on The Last Dance. Um, I mean, I'm, of course, excited for the final two episodes of The Last Dance next Sunday. Um, So, you know, we're all kind of basking in history. Uh, you know, the 1985 playoffs just finished on Fox Sports Florida's Magic Classics or Magic Rewind. I don't know what they're calling it. I like Magic Classics better than Magic Rewind, but that's me. Um, uh, we just finished watching Game 7 of the 1985 Eastern Conference Finals on Saturday. Tuesday, they'll begin with the 2009 playoffs. They'll start with Game 2 of the 2009 first round versus the Philadelphia 76ers. I love the 2009 team. I know most of you all do too. I'm really eager to see... See this 2019 back on my TV. Um, I think they're really special. They they were a really special group, uh, and that was just a really special season. So I'm very excited to relive some of those games. We'll we'll talk a little bit about those coming up on the podcast as well as well as on OrlandoMagicDaily.com. Usually we focus on the history stuff during the off season, but obviously we're not in a true off season right now. Right now we're kind of in hiatus of with the coronavirus, and we got some good news uh, on Friday and i've been kind of holding off i've been wanting to kind of comment and talk about this but we got some good news first off the orlando magic announced that if everything goes according to plan if everything kind of goes as as they hope they plan to reopen the advent health practice facility to players on tuesday essentially this is just for individual workouts still they will not be able to work out with kind of front bench coaches the the rule, I think, the I think the rule the NBA came up with is you designate six coaches or six staff members to work with players. Cannot be the head coach. Cannot be general manager. Cannot be kind of front office executives um, talking to the players. They have to be out of the building when they're in when they're in there, I believe. Um, so it's still very very rudimentary stuff. Essentially, the reporting that's been going on is the NBA kind of got wind that players were going to unsanctioned gyms. They're all jonesing. They want to play. Stuff is reopening once again, while gyms are not reopened yet in, in Florida, at least. Um, everyone's jonesing to play again and get back on the court and kind of get back to work. And I think the NBA said we'd rather them be in our facility, have access to our our training, our you know kind of medical assistance, all of that stuff, uh, rather than going someplace that we don't know where you know who knows what's going on. So NBA tra- training facilities are opening up where allowed by law or allowed by local regulations. Um, as things go, Orlando does plan to, op- or at least again, Orlando plans to open its training facility on Tuesday. The rules are fairly more complex than this, but the basic ones that most fans probably care about, no more than four players in the building at any time, two on the court at any time, both on their own baskets, two in the weight room socially, di- everyone being socially distanced, everyone has to wear masks except when they're working out, um, deep cleaning throughout the entire entire thing. Uh, temperature checks, kind of all that jazz. But the one piece of information that I think surprised a lot of people is the league pretty much announced that it will not require testing or won't allow test teams to test players if they are asymptomatic. So essentially, they're still trusting players to self-quarantine. And the reason for this is pretty simple. The NBA took a public relations hit, as frankly they should have, for having players tested in the immediate aftermath of the season's hiatus, when testing was still very, very limited to the public. And while, you know, again, if, someone's, if someone was feeling sick and they had access to a test, I'm not going to blame them for getting that test. And in fact, you know, I think one thing that was somewhat proven is there were a fair amount of NBA players who had contracted the coronavirus and are and, and, tested positive for the coronavirus. And One reason that the NBA had to suspend operations the way it did is the NBA as a group of people who travel around often are, but had become known as super spreaders because they are always out and about, you know, again, meeting with people around a lot of people, around thousands of people, there was a potential that they would be kind of the the big drivers and spreaders uh, of things. And so... Shutting down the NBA was the right call. It's not surprising that that there were a fair amount of positive tests among the NBA, but it definitely didn't look good that they could get access to testing when so much of the country could not. So the rule then became, you know, at this point, the teams cannot require testing, cannot cannot administer tests or or big players get tests if they're asymptomatic. They have to meet all the guidelines for the state and they have to go through the state to get testing, to get tested and all that jazz. The Magic, however, are on a list of teams that have an exception to that rule. And again, this does not mean the Magic are going out and testing every single player today. It might, but we don't know. But essentially what it means is the Orlando Magic received permission from the Orange County Health Department here in Orange County, Florida that if they were to have asymptomatic players get tested, they would not be taking tests away from those who need it most, from the medical community, from frontline workers, from the pe- from people who are most at risk, they would not be taking tests from people who need it. Essentially, what Orange County told the Magic and told the NBA by extension is we have more tests than we need, so they are open to pretty much essentially anyone who wants. To. There are no longer requirements in Orange County for tests, and in fact antibody testing has begun in Orange County as well. This all started to come out as Orange County Mayor Jerry Jerry Demings reported on Friday that the county had seen fewer than 10 new cases, even with this new testing regimen, this pretty robust testing regimen in Orange County, Florida, that Orange County had seen fewer than 10 new cases for the first time in several weeks. Good news for people here in Orange County, the curfew that had been in effect for almost a month now is being lifted Monday. In fact, I am recording this on early Monday morning. By the time you listen to this, by the time uh, you get this, the curfew obviously gets lifted around 6 a.m. anyway, the curfew in Orange County will be no more. Of course, here in the state of Florida as well. Salons have been given, a salon and, and barbershops have been given permission to open again on Monday. Slowly but surely, we are kind of moving into a more robust part of phase one where things are starting to open again. I would always caution at this point that that doesn't mean you should still be practicing social distancing or still be taking precautions. It is good to see us making this progress. It does not mean we are out of the woods. Don't. It It is not a time to return to normal life quite yet. But this is all good news. Certainly here in Orange County and in the Orlando area, it is very good news. Orange County and Orlando, I think, I, I'm very proud of, of as, as a citizen of Orlando, as a citizen of Orange County, I have been very proud of how our county government, especially, has responded to the coronavirus. I think that they were acted fairly quickly. They set up a a fairly robust testing regimen uh, and they have done a a very good, and, and honestly, you know, none of this would matter if the people of Orange County and the people of Orlando did not do their part too, but they have done a very good job stressing the importance of what they're trying to do, of being very clear at their intent. And I think the results in this county have shown that we have done what we've needed to do. Now, obviously, it takes the people doing that as well as the big businesses. And of course, in Orange County, in Central Florida, there is no bigger business than Disney and Universal and the theme parks. Disney Disney, Disney World is probably the biggest employer in Orange County. They closed their doors very, very early. And undoubtedly, that step, followed by Universal closing, followed followed you know, a few days later by SeaWorld, um, which isn't that much of a player in the, in the market anymore, but... The theme parks closing their doors probably saved Central Florida and Orlando from being a very serious problem. And again, those places do not close their doors unless it is an emergency. So they knew what was up, and that should have been a sign. That was a sign to everyone that something was, was bigger going on here. It's not clear when they're going to reopen yet. I think they will be among the last things to come online. But certainly here in Orange County, we have done a very good job flattening the curve. And we'll see if we've bent the curve permanently downward and hopefully everyone still does their part here to to kind of bring our recovery along at the pace that it needs to go. Of course, this in the NBA context, this all cannot be mentioned without the thought of what are the ideas that the NBA is bandying about. It has been confirmed uh, by reporting as 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 Adam Silver had a phone call with the players' associate with members of the players' association on Friday just to answer questions and clear the air of anything. Adam Silver said that he believes that the best way to conclude the season is to have everyone at one or two sites, and that among the locations being considered, Orlando and Las Vegas are at the top of the list. I am still skeptical that a bubble will work. I am still skeptical that that is something the players want to do. I am still skeptical that you can keep a bubble entirely clean and entirely clear. I personally don't think we will I personally don't think we'll see games until the NBA feels confident that hotels can reopen and that they can travel and that they will just play games and practice facilities and try and knock them out, get get teams in and out of places as quickly as they can and back home. I, I still think that that's ultimately the best way. To finish the season, ten games, five home, five away. Maybe you do one central location, knock games out in like two or three days if you can. Maybe not that fast, but um, knock games out as quickly as you can. Um, you know, do do what the two K league does. Honestly, just send send teams to one location for a weekend, play two or three games in a weekend, come back home, and then go back go back up. You know, you know, kind of short spurts. Maybe is, it might be the way to do it. But I I, I don't think they'll do like a two month bubble. I, I just don't think that that. I don't think teams want that. I don't think players want that. But all of this is kind of good news for just the beginning of bubbling to the uh, of the NBA coming back to life. If Orange County and by extension Osceola Seminole, Osceola County, who still has a few more tighter restrictions than Orange County does, so Osceola County's not, you know, not quite out of the woods yet. Or, uh, you know, I think they're doing it. They're doing well, and they're doing kind of in the same spot that Orange County is doing but they've been a little bit more cautious. Um, they, 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 they have some more at-risk population in Osceola County. But this is all a good sign that, yes, Orange County has done a lot to flatten the curve, that Orange County has the testing capability, maybe not to the extent that the NBA would want, but is at a place where they could really entertain having the league center itself in at, at Disney, which is on the line between Orange and Osceola County. It is a good sign that Orange County and Orlando is becoming a viable place where the virus isn't defeated, not saying that, but the virus is on its way out. A place that, you know, among other major cities perhaps, it it has not reached that point or has the capability to do what the NBA needs it to do. We are still a long way away, let me make that perfectly clear. We're a long way away from having the testing capability that the NBA would want in order to have the season. As Adam Silver reportedly said on that phone call, we don't have to make a decision yet. We don't have to make a decision now. We don't have to make a decision until June. The NBA is willing to wait and see where this thing goes. But the good news here in Orlando, the good news here in Orange County, is we have taken some very important and very big steps to get us closer to that point. And that includes the ability to test players because we have the tests available. And that, of course, includes opening the practice facility once again. That's going to do it for me today. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. Of course, find me on Twitter at underscore MD. Find the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Magic, as well as subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Himalaya, Google Play, Spotify, and all the fun places to download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. You can, of course, find me again on Twitter at philipr__md. Don't forget to check out the latest episode of the Hollinger and Duncan NBA NBA show. On the latest episode, they discuss the most overrated players of all time. They ask how much did some players contribute to winning basketball and who, frankly, we think of as better than they actually were. Should, should be an interesting conversation. Be sure to check out all the great podcasts on the Lockdown Podcast Network, too. Be sure to check out Locked On NBA for their take on the latest episodes of The Last Dance as well. But until next time, for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked On Magic, this has been Philip Ross Wright. I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked On Magic.
0: You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando Magic Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.